Well, if you have a Bible with you this evening, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, our series in Genesis. It came to a close last week. And so tonight we begin a new study in the book of Philippians, a letter wrote by Paul to the church in Philippi. And so we look forward to what God has to say to us from this book in his word over the next few uh, weeks and months. Um, I suppose tonight, as we um, are thinking about our identity, I wonder how you think about your identity. What's your identity based upon? Uh, Is it your name? Is it your job? Maybe it's your education or lack of it. Maybe it's your politics. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your age. Tonight, we're going to see how we, should, how we should look at our identity and what we should base our identity on. So tonight, we're thinking of our identity as we come uh, to an introduction to the book of Philippians. Let's pray before we look at that. Lord, uh, thank you for this evening hour where we are now privileged to feast upon your word, and we ask that you will uh, open up your word and help us uh, to read it, Hear it, see it, trust it, be changed by it, so that when we leave here, we will be better equipped for life in this fallen, broken, sinful world. We ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen. So, welcome to our studies in the the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books in in the whole of the Bible. Uh, Paul has founded this particular church about 10 years before the letter uh, uh, was written. From this remarkable, humble beginning, uh, we see a church now beginning to grow and to flourish. And that's recorded for us, the details of that are recorded for us in Acts 16. You may remember the the call uh, to Macedonia, come over to Macedonia and help us. And of course, this was a call of God and of goes Paul. Then we see the conversion of Lydia and uh, the slave girl and the jailer. That's just three of the conversions uh, in that time. And then, of course, after that, there was the creation of, or because of this, there was the creation of a small but vibrant church. So we're going to see just how Paul relates to this church in Philippi. As he writes this letter, we've got to remember he's in prison rat-infested, damp, cold, miserable place. And yet, despite his difficult situations and circumstances, there's no anger in his words, there's no self-pity in his writing, but there's lots of joy, confidence, and triumph. Joy, confidence, and triumph. And some would claim, of course, that one or more of these are the theme, the big theme of the book, particularly joy. And you may have commentaries at home where there were joys in the title, the epistle of joy or fullness of joy. I've got a couple of those kinds of titles. And of course, there is lots of joy in it, and we're going to see that. But actually, Jesus Christ is the theme of the book. And and that shouldn't surprise us because the whole of the Bible's about him. But actually, there's 50 references to Jesus in the four chapters of this short letter, 50 references to him, 17 in the first chapter alone. 
So the uniting factor is not uh, um, some kind of situation or even an event. The uniting factor is Jesus, the person of Jesus. Jesus dominates this book as he dominates absolutely everything to do with the Christian, who we are, what we do, and uh, how it's all going to end. It's all about him. So as usual, we're going to work down the text verse by verse, and as Caleb said, we have, um, we're going to spend the next couple of months probably, uh, probably take us beyond Christmas looking at this great wee book. So tonight really is an introduction uh, to help set the scene and some important details for us to remember later on when we get into the meat and uh, into the bones, I suppose, of the actual book. And I suppose what we have here is a description of our identity. And we've got a couple of um, couples, five couplets, servants and saints. That's how, that's how we should see ourselves. That's really our identity. We, we, we might call this our two titles as part of our identity, our two titles. Um, notice that, verse one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul doesn't identify himself as an apostle. He doesn't say, this is the boss writing to you, listen up. He doesn't say, I'm the guy who founded the church, just in case you, some of you people don't know who I am. There's no long autobiographical introduction, no pulling of rank, no boasting of credentials. He could have said, you know, I am the, the apostle, I am the teacher of the church, I am number one evangelist, I am church planter extraordinary, I'm the letter writer and the number one theologian. <clears throat> he could have said some of those things. But notice how he begins. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He could have, we could translate that word slaves. Slaves. The word means one bound to another. Bound to another. And do you know what? It's a mark of spiritual maturity to see yourself like this. To see yourself as you really are. It's a sign of spiritual maturity to be a servant. People who want to serve and not be served. People who want to give and not just receive. Of course, if that's a sign of spiritual maturity, a sign of spiritual immaturity is, I don't want to serve, or I refuse to serve. A sign of spiritual immaturity is, I deserve to lead. I deserve to go straight to the top and given the title and given the glory. I deserve recognition. That's spiritual immaturity. Because before you can be a leader, and we need leaders, we really need leaders, before you can be a leader, you need to be a servant. And many ways, when I'm looking for a potential leader for ministry within RPC, I'm looking to see, are there any servants around? Servants who will be down on their knees, getting their hands dirty, serving. 
See, spiritual ministry is servant ministry, and the servant of God is a servant of people. Pastoral ministry is service for Christ by service to people. You all know Alistair Beggs, one of my heroes. Of course, anybody with the name of Alistair is always good. But he, he quotes his mentor, Derek Prime, who was the pastor in Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh. And Derek Prime often said to his people, I will always be your servant, but you will never be my master. I will always be your servant, but you will never be my master. Because, you see, we're servants of Christ Jesus. You'll notice there what he's saying, servants of Christ Jesus. A servant, a slave of Christ Jesus. Is, is that what you are? Is that how you see yourself? Remember, if you're a Christian tonight, he bought you with his very own blood. You are blood-bought. You belong to him, and your call is to serve him all the days of your life. So be a servant. That's your identity, a servant of Christ Jesus. Not a volunteer. I've stopped trying to use that term because I think it's misleading. A volunteer is someone who comes and goes, who moves around, who chooses their own agenda. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do the other. Do you know what a slave does? A slave gives up all their rights to serve their master with unflinching loyalty, with absolute obedience. A volunteer can say, it's about me and what I want. What I want to do, a slave does whatever needs to be done for the king, who is Jesus. So are you getting a picture of your identity? Can you say, I'm a servant of Jesus? The other word that he uses there is saints. Also in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. To all the saints. Now again, we're not terribly comfortable with this title either. Because to be a saint, in some circles, you've got to be dead. You've got to be dead to be a saint. Um, you need to have performed some kind of miracle, or you've been canonized by the church and worthy of veneration for some act that you've done probably a number of hundreds of years before. And we don't like the idea of being dead, um, or we don't like to try too many miracles. So we don't really like this idea of saints. But actually, the truth is, every born-again Christian is a saint, to all the saints in the church he's writing. The word there means to set apart to or to be cut off from. There's a negative and there's a positive. Cut off from, negative. Separated to, positive. Cut off from, set apart from sin. Cut off for, set apart for Jesus. That's what a saint is. So do you know what? Saints are just ordinary, unholy people like you and me who have been chosen and claimed and converted and are now under the care and control of Jesus. So, he wants to use saints like you and me for his glory. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. If you're a Christian, you should be a servant. That's who you really are. You are saint servant. By the way, just as we finish this part, you would almost expect 
Paul saying something like, um, Saint Paul to the servants. Wouldn't you? You might think that's legitimate. Saint Paul to the servants. But was he right? Servant Paul to the saints. That's your identity because it's a biblical identity. The second couple of things, uh, we might say two locations. We've got um, two titles, two locations in Christ Jesus and at Philippi. This is the end end of uh, the rest of verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, which we'll also mention. In Christ Jesus. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Christ all will be made alive. So you're either tonight in Christ or you're out of Christ. There's only two positions in life, in him or outside of him. And this is your crucial location you know, we put so much emphasis at oh, where am I going to live? But actually what we should be concerned about is where am I, as far as Christ is concerned, am I in Christ? The crucial location, you and him and him and you. And Paul learned, of course, what it meant to be in Christ. It was one of his favorite titles. And so must we understand what it means to be in Christ. In Christ, do you know what? We are secure we have all we need. Isn't that what the catechisms are teaching us there? Uh, the, the Holy Spirit effectively applying salvation to us. We have everything we need as far as that is concerned and everything else that we need for service. Everything we need for life, everything we need for death, everything we need for eternity. It's all supplied in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, the peace of God kind of patrols and guards our hearts and minds. We don't need to worry or panic. In Christ Jesus, his wisdom meets our foolishness, his power meets our weakness, and his riches meets our poverty. In Christ Jesus, we are new people with new attitudes. In Christ Jesus, we see him, we see ourselves, we see life, we see others, we see ministry, we see death, we see heaven, we see everything. We see everything from a different angle because we are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Because if you're not, or if you're not sure, then, you know, you should find yourself uh, a quiet corner somewhere before you leave this building tonight and get that sorted. But the second location is at Philippi. So this means, of course, that we've got a letter here in our hands, a real letter written to real people living in the real world. Philippi was, was a, a rich city, a trading center, a Roman colony, deeply secular, deeply materialistic. There's evidence, much evidence of idolatry. There's even evidence of demonic activity. The, the, the slave girl who was converted was converted from demonic possession. In other words, it was not easy to be a Christian in this particular city. It's never easy to be a Christian in any city or in any location. I hope you realize just how familiar this all sounds because our present world is a toxic place 
for Christians to live in, a toxic place. If you wish to be pure and true, you will be fighting the world system every day. The world is Satan's playing field, and he plays hard, and he plays dirty. He has no rules. He has no moral code. He has no restrictions. It's his rules, which are basically, I want to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. I want to destroy every human being made in the image of a beautiful God. That's his aim. He wants to destroy you, your marriages, your family, your children, your world. That's his aim. And Paul came to this sin-sick, broken city with nothing but the call. Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's all he had. I mean, there was no welcoming party, no Kirk session of elders, no building, no programs, no praise group, no musicians, no pastoral care team, nothing, nothing except God's Spirit and God's grace preparing the way. And didn't he lead the way in saving, first of all, Lydia and the girl, and the jailer. But the point we need to understand, and I think Paul wants us to understand, is that the Philippines of the world, they're all tough places. They're all tough places. It's tough out there, wherever you are, whether you live in Rich Hill or wherever you come from this evening. I know some of you know that um, when I was a boy, uh, one of the best cop shows on, on the TV was Hill Street Blues. Anybody, anybody watch Hill Street Blues? If, oh dear, there's only a certain few of a certain age. The, the, the best theme music ever, probably, yes? Go home and Google it tonight, Hill Street Blues theme music. But the thing that I remember most of all was the sergeant's morning briefings, and they always ended with, hey, let's be careful out there. He said that every time. Hey, let's be careful out there. And we need to be careful out there in our Philippi, whether it's your Philippi is called Rich Hill or Portadown or Armagh or wherever, because if you're truthful and if you're faithful, it will not be easy. It will be tough. It'll be tough in your Philippi. But you see, you're in Christ, <laughs> and that makes all the difference. You are in and at wherever you live and work and worship. And in both of these locations, you're there by the sovereign plan, the purpose of God. I hope you realize that. You're not in Christ and you're not at Philippi, you're Philippi, just because you made that choice. You're in Him and you are in here for a redemptive purpose. You're in Him and you're in here. If this is where God has placed you, to have a platform to declare his grace and his glory and his gospel. And therefore, by the way, there's no ideal place and there's no easy place. Do you think it's, it's, it's easier to be in Rich Hill Presbyterian Church than some other Presbyterian church or any other church? Do you think it's easier to live in Rich Hill than it is in Belfast? We have been placed by him in these two critical places, these critical locations in Christ, in the place where God has placed you to live and work and worship, 
And you've got to use your platform for his glory and, and take your opportunities whenever they come. By the way, the end of verse 1 uh, is important. Together with the overseers and deacons, there are no wasted words in Scripture. And the point is this, I think. You and me and we are called to minister together in tandem with those who are called to lead. Now, it shows that this 10- or 12-year-old church has already been organized, even in these early days, even when it's quite small, and these these um, spiritual leaders are called overseers or elders or bishops. The, the words are used interchangeably. They were in place, and the deacons looked after practical issues like fabric and finance and, and feeding the poor. They were also in place. But the point, I think, that again, that, that Paul is reminding us is this, that we're to be in Christ, and we're to be here, and we're to be a servant, and we're to be a saint together with the leaders that God has placed over us. I think you can tell a lot about a person by how they respond to an invitation to serve, whether they want to serve or not. You can tell a lot about that person by their response to that request, serve. I also think you can tell a lot about a person by how they respond to the leadership that God has placed over them. You can. And you don't need to be a brain surgeon to work it out. You're called to be a servant, you're called to be a saint, you're called to be in Christ, you're called to be at Philippi, and you're called to work with those that God has placed over you in leadership. So we're getting our identity here built up, aren't we? Two titles, two locations, two greetings, we might say. And of course, they're familiar ones in verse two. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is a, a typical Greek greeting. Peace is a typical Hebrew greeting. And of course, Paul is particularly clever here because he takes these two common terms and yet he infuses them with deep meaning. Grace, as I'm sure we've been told many, many times, is God's undeserved goodness. As one commentator says, we, des- we receive God's blessing when we should receive his blasting. I like that. We receive his blessing when we should receive his blasting. Peace is wholeness with God, ultimately, with others around us, with ourselves. God makes it possible for us to receive and enjoy both these things, grace and peace. But notice where the grace and peace comes from. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, two of our greatest enemies, the enemies of our hearts and souls are guilt and shame. Isn't that right? Guilt and shame basically attack us constantly. The world is awash with both, but grace wipes out guilt and peace cleanses our shame. Now, too many of us, I think, um, feel worthless. We're unworthy, yes, but we're not worthless. So, so God says, would you receive from me my grace and my peace and live in power? That's part of our identity. Two titles, two locations, two blessings. Here's two attitudes that we also see in these um, early verses that help us understand our identity about prayer and, and joy. Notice that in three and four. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Now, there's 
wonderful memories and thankfulness in verse 3, but really don't have time to look at that. But what stands out for me here in verse 4 is, is prayer and joy. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What he's really saying here is this. In all his prayers, he prays for all of them always. That's what he's really saying. There's lots of alls going on there in the original. And the thing that seasoned his praying was what? Joy. Why? Well, because he knew he was a servant saint, because he was in Christ and he was in the place that God had set him down. He, he, he knew that he had received grace and peace. That's why he could pray with joy. It's just obvious. How could I be miserable when I've received all of this? He says. How could he not pray and how could he not pray with joy? He's full of joy. And when he prayed for his brothers and sisters in Philippi, he did so with joy. I wonder do we pray for each other or do we just complain about each other? Do we pray about each other with joy? with genuine joy. Look at what God has done in their lives. He was filled with his Redeemer and his life was filled with joy. Here's another thing, brothers and sisters, there are too many Christians who are miserable and prayerless. Miserable and prayerless because they haven't seen the wonder of being a saint and a servant and being in Christ and, and being in the place where God has set them down and being in grace and peace. Too many Christians are critical and judgmental and bitter and miserable and hard. And here it is, guys, this is important because there's something seriously wrong. If we claim to be in Christ and yet we don't serve, there's something seriously wrong if we claim to be in Christ and yet don't have any joy. There's something seriously wrong if we claim to be in Christ and yet we do not pray. And I suppose if we get our identity sorted out, perhaps then we will be able to be effective, more effective. So are you getting a picture of our identity? There it is all for us. Let's look in the, into the mirror of God's Word, examine ourselves and see what we might need to learn or to change. Lastly, um, I suppose we might say two actions, uh, partnership and completion. It was a little bit harder to squeeze that into my thought pattern, but there we are. You forgive me for that. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We've got partnership in verse 5. And we've got completion or progress in verse 6. And both are so important. And actually, the two are linked. One, this idea of partnership is human and horizontal and visible. And, and the, the other, the, this idea of being, complete, uh, being completed is divine, vertical, and spiritual. But they're, they're, they're very close to each other. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word partner, partnership there means fellowship or participation. 
Um, so they, they weren't watching from the sides. They, they were involved, working. It, it, it backs up this idea of being a servant of Christ Jesus. We're talking here about team, effort, body, ministry, commitment to the life and to the unity and to the blessing of the church by just putting shoulder to the plow. We're talking here about partnership, not dictatorship. We're talking about participation, not domination. Based on what? Based, of course, you'll see there on the gospel, because of your partnership in the gospel. <laughs> it's not a fellowship of the lowest common denominator, is it? It's not a partnership of you believe a little bit and I'll believe a little bit and let's all get together and uh, sit around a campfire and hold hands and sing nice songs. I mean, that's the kind of picture that we get of the unbiblical um, ecumenical movement. It used to be, again, when I was a boy, it was, they used to sing Kumbaya, but of course that means very little to most people here tonight. Meaningless. Because they strip away all that's important in the gospel to try and bring people into some kind of false partnership when actually unity is in the gospel because of your partnership in the gospel. And notice what he says there, from the first day. Which day is he talking about? Well, the day that they came to faith in Jesus Christ. Or perhaps he's meaning the day that Lydia came to faith in Jesus Christ. We can't be sure, but it's the beginning of the church here in Philippi from that first day when salvation was experienced. And they became, right from the very beginning, partners in, in prayer and in care, in worship and in work, in evangelism and discipleship, in serving and living. From the first day until now, you'll notice, again, no phrases wasted, they didn't give up. They started all this prayer and care and worship and work and evangelism, discipleship and serving and living, and they kept at it. They kept at it. It's not like those who have initial enthusiasm and then run out of steam. They began to be partners in the gospel, and then they continued to be partners in the gospel. I say again to you folks, if you really want to understand your identity, then um, play your role, be a partner, don't waste your life, don't get isolated, don't wither away. Here's another thing we can observe over the years, that if we don't understand our identity and, and operate according to our identity, then we will eventually slip and slide away. It's horrible to watch. It's, humanly speaking, impossible to stop. Only, as we learned in the Catechism, the effective application of the Holy Spirit can change us. You know, we've got all of eternity to enjoy paradise. Days without number. In fact, days will mean nothing. Time will mean nothing in the new heaven and the new earth. But here now, we've got three score years and ten, maybe a little bit more, maybe sadly sometimes a little bit less. A short time to be partners. And then in verse 6, of course, um, there's a process here, or uh, this idea of being completed. 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know, I don't really watch Mastermind uh, anymore, but the, 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 when the beeper goes, the, the, if the question has been started, he says, doesn't he? I started, so I'll, I'll finish. It's exactly the same here. <laughs> he has begun a good work in you, if you're a Christian. He has. A, a miracle. You are in Christ, a new creature, and he is going to complete the work. Because he can see the whole picture. He can see the finished product. He sees the potential, and he wants to complete you. He wants to process you. He wants to progress you. Don't resist that work. Enjoy it. Because actually the best is yet to come. Even now, here tonight, you know what he's doing? He's shaping us, isn't he? I hope. He's shaping the way we think about service and sainthood and being in Christ and, and prayer and joy and partnership. I hope, he, I, hope he's, I hope he's teaching us. I hope he's um, refining us, reforming us. But here we have so much theology here in verse 6. The commencement of the work, in a sense, justification. He who began a good work in you. And then with the continuation of the work, really sanctification, will carry it on. And then the completion of the work, glorification, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, we're under construction, and sometimes it can be slow and painful, but it's worth it. I'm told there's a story about um, Ruth and Billy Graham on a drive one day. They came across roadworks, uh, and there was very slow progress for a number of miles as they went past all these bollards and things. And at the end, there was this massive big sign that said, end of construction, thanks for your patience. End of construction, thanks for your patience. And Ruth said to Billy, I want that put on my tombstone. End of construction. Thanks for your patience. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, we need to be patient with each other, and yes, we need to be patient with ourselves. And yes, we need commitment to this whole process. But he has begun it. He is continuing that work, and he will complete it. See, that is our identity. And I think Paul's laying down a very clear but beautiful foundation here in these first six verses. And I suppose... What does that mean for me and you? Well, for me, does it mean I'm a saint? Yeah, I am. You can call me Saint Alistair if you want to from now on. Am I a servant? Or am I a bluffer? Am I in Christ? Really in Christ? Or am I in religion? Am I in Christ or am I just a name, a title, 
over a, a church, the Reverend Alistair McNeely. Am I in Christ? Are you? Am I in Rachel? Yeah, I am. But am I really in here? Is my heart here? Do I want to serve here? Do you? What about grace and peace? Or do we just continue with guilt and emptiness and frustration? What about prayer? I mean, do I pray? Not enough. Never enough. But do I pray with joy? Sometimes that joy is squeezed. Let me be truthful. But that's been the challenge for me, praying with joy for people. Not praying with complaints about people. What about partnership? And what about this great idea that he has begun a work in me and he's going to complete it? Is that my identity? Is it yours? See, this is who we are. We're not the products of chance. We're not defined by sin and by failure. Please do not let Satan do that to you. We're not defined by what has happened to us or our families in the past or even in the present. We're not defined by man-focused religion. We're not defined by our education, by our politics, our health, our age, our name, our job, our sex, or anything like that. We're defined by who God has made us and what he's done for us. So let's enjoy our identity in him and um, serve him as saints who are in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, we are confident that you have begun a good work in us and you're not going to give up on us and you're not going to allow the flesh and the world and the devil to seduce us back. You're, you're going to complete your work. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be in Christ. Thank you for allowing us to uh, understand what it means to be a saint and to be a servant, to have grace and peace, to pray with joy, to be partners in the work, and, to, and to, this wonderful confident statement that you're going to complete the work you've begun. We're excited about today, tomorrow, and the rest of time because you are our God and you are in control. We bring our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.